Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. everyone to BAMS Radio, uh, Thursday night, uh, Thomas Watts, myself, Drew DeArmond. We'll be with Mitch Barger in about 15 minutes, and we hope to be joined by Kedrick James, the tight end commit from Waco, Texas, uh, who uh, six 6'6", 260 pounds, looking to fill a need in the Crimson Tide's 2017 class, uh, with the Alabama looking to sign one, maybe two, inline tight ends, though there has been some developments this past week. It's been very, very interesting uh, because uh, Cam Stewart, who is a walk-on, former San Diego Padre, uh, uh, Meyer League farmhand, six foot eight, uh, 250 pounds. Uh, he's a, uh, he, I believe he's a, still considered a true freshman. He was discovered by Aaron Suttles, a good friend of ours of uh, TideSports.com and the Tuscaloosa News. Definitely passes the eye test. He's number 83 in your program. So check out Cam Stewart. Uh, got a chance to see the open practice on Sunday. Uh, Alabama is a very talented football team, uh, as expected under Nick Saban, uh, but uh, still young in some spots. Then the quarterback situation has got to play itself out, and we're going to have the first big step in that regard with this scrimmage coming up on Saturday afternoon that should be attended by our own William Redfish Barger, and we're going to talk to him about that in just a few minutes. And Thomas Watts, uh, I know uh, I know you weren't in uh, Tuscaloosa on Saturday, but you were, uh, excuse me, Sunday, I should say, for the fan day festivities. Uh, but I know you were following along closely and uh, just uh, hearing and seeing people's and reading people's observations. A very talented squad uh, and a very interesting beginning to fall camp. Absolutely. I have to admit, like like you said, I was not in Tuscaloosa, but I was absolutely glued to the Twitter sphere trying to glean any and all of the nuggets that I could find about uh, about Alabama. And I think the thing that stood out to me the most, and I guess this shouldn't be surprising, was the take on quarterbacks. Looking at, I want to say the cross-section of opinion, it was – Less that Cooper Bateman had a good – I think he had a decent day was my – was what I took away from it, you know, some good, some bad. But I think the thing that really jumped out at me was that Blake Barnett, in particular Blake Barnett and to a lesser extent Jalen Hurts, have taken some serious steps forward. And we have a horse race, and it's 
going to be one of those things in my mind, and I'm sure we'll get into this with Redfish Drew, but to me it's going to be one of those situations where if Cooper Bateman can't keep holding off Blake Barnett and Jalen Hurts, he's done. I mean, it's not – I don't think there's any question. And I think that both of those young men's ceilings are higher than Bateman. So that's going to be a heck of a thing. But I was very pleasantly surprised with the quarterbacks specifically, at least the takes on the quarterbacks coming out of uh, fan day this past weekend. Well, you know, it was interesting. Uh, Cooper Bateman, uh, he did finish strong and threw the ball well late, but the first two-thirds of the workout were not very good. Uh, he was inaccurate. Uh, he's got a very uh, average arm, uh, but, you know, uh, the only one with the elite arm talent of the four guys is, is uh, David Cornwell, and I think he's already out of the race uh, because he's someone that's hurt. He's got a foot injury. He didn't take many reps on Sunday, has not done much in practice. Uh, there's been issues, I think, with uh, questions about his leadership and character also. So uh, I think it's a three-horse race between Cooper Bateman, uh, who I think has a slight lead due to the, the you know the way he finished that practice and just from what you're hearing in fall camp thus far, Blake Barnett definitely looked to be 20 to 25 pounds heavier, uh, much more confident. The ball came out quickly. It was much more accurate than Bateman's. I you know I thought that coming out of it uh, that uh, if you had, that Barnett was the most consistent QB of the three uh, for that day. But, and right now, I would have him, you know, slightly trailing Bateman. But what he, Blake Barnett has to do is he didn't turn the ball over during the Sunday scrimmage, and he made some very good throws, including a superb one to Trevon Diggs uh, off uh, scrambling to his left from about 40 yards out to the true freshman who now is getting more work with the safeties. Uh, but he's going to have to not turn the ball over in the scrimmages. He has to take uh, his great practice and uh, and I've heard he's thrown the ball well this week, but he's going to have to take that and use that to his advantage and settle down and uh, and uh, execute offensively and play saving ball, not turn it over. That was his problem in the spring, the first two scrimmages especially. Uh, but he did look much more confident and comfortable than in the spring, and I think he's made some strides. And Jalen Hurts uh, is the best athlete, freaky athleticism, did throw one interception to Keith Holcomb, uh, but and had a couple other poor throws, but bounced back, made some plays. Uh, very good uh, sideline throw uh, to BJM on. Uh, also uh, showed some outstanding elusiveness. Would have had a 40-yard TD on a run. He just brings a different skill set, though I still think uh, he needs to learn more of the offense, no doubt about it. And, and that's fair. I think the folks that are pushing Jalen Hurt so hard need to understand that even in college, offenses are complex, particularly run at Alabama. And you don't want to send a quarterback out there with, you know, only half of the bullets in the gun, such as it were, if you'll pardon the metaphor. So I, I think the sky's the limit for Hurts, but I, I, I'm looking, I'm looking for Blake Barnett. That's going to be the thing, particularly, you know, this weekend and then the next weekend. There's the Red Elephant Club scrimmage that I am going to get to attend. That's that's going to be the thing. I agree with you. If Barnett shows out then. I don't think Bateman holds him off. It it just it doesn't, you know, the hype train. It is there, and Drew, you are you are the captain of that hype train. You have got your conductor's hat, and you are blasting that whistle at all times, which is fine, and I appreciate the hell out of it. But I, I'm kind of I'm kind of falling that way because it just the more you hear, the more you read, it doesn't sound like Bateman's going to be able to hold off those guys. 
barring, you know, an epic collapse. So, you know, plenty more other stuff to look at in this spring, too. I think the uh, what I've found interesting and kind of laughed about is the almost musical chairs that is the Alabama secondary. You read practice reports, and it's X guy and Y guy working in different spots, and it kind of smacks you upside the head realizing that Alabama, in terms of the secondary, if they wanted to, could rotate much like they uh, were able to do last season on the defensive line. That the, the depth in the secondary is just out of this world. What do you think, Drew? Well, I think the depth has a chance to be there. Uh, it's going to be young. Uh, they're still trying to figure out the third corner, uh, which would uh, mean Minka Fitzpatrick slides over to the nickel. Uh, the third corner, uh, Anthony Averett got a lot of that work on Sunday. Jared Maiden got some of it. Kendall Sheffield. Kendall Sheffield has gotten more this week, uh, but I think they're wanting to see, you know, if they can coach him up a little bit. And as Coach Saban said yesterday, uh, play more instinctively. Uh, but, we, you know, we're going to have to see uh, about that. But Kendall is a very talented guy, five-star that was actually red-shirted. Uh, but you also, you talked about the young talent, though. Jared Maiden, very well put together from Satchies, Texas. Uh, his Both of his parents uh, were, were Oklahoma graduates. Uh, a lot of people thought he'd go to OU, but he first committed to Oregon, then ended up at Alabama. Uh, very fine-looking player. Uh, Shane Carter's been getting a lot of buzz this summer. We uh, in, uh, And I spoke to his coach on my show, Talking Ball, recently, Jonathan Foster, and he was very complimentary of Shai's football IQ and his potential. Thought he could have even played quarterback in the on the SEC level. So he's uh, shown some flashes at the dime spot uh, also. So I think he's going to have a chance to get on the field. I really liked what I saw out of Aaron Robinson. I think he could at least be a special teams player. Uh, he, you know, he's very, very, very – uh, well put together, also a taller defensive back. And uh, and we haven't even seen Nigel Knott. I mean, he's hurt. He's recovering from knee surgery. Uh, he's a freak athlete. Well, probably red shirt, much like uh, Kendall Sheffield uh, because of some of the young players. But we haven't even mentioned the Deontay Thompsons. I know William Barger and I are very high on him, the red shirt freshman uh, from Orange Shark, uh, Texas. Uh, he's a very good football player. I think he's got a chance to be a really good safety down the road. And then what we've seen from Javon Diggs is a true freshman. He's another one I predicted would be a safety when he signed with Alabama. So there's really an embarrassment of riches. We talked about Kendall Sheffield being a redshirt freshman. That you know they they have a chance to have some depth in the secondary. Just going to have to uh, get guys to step up a little bit. But that also brings up the Maurice Smith situation. Thomas he is now officially gone. Alabama has given him his release. Would even let him play at Georgia. But I think Nick Saban got tired of being hung out to dry by the SEC office, and now he's put it in the lap of Greg Sankey, and they have to decide if they grant this re- waiver request, are they going to open up Pandora's box? Because it pretty much does if they don't stick to their guns. Yeah, and that's that's my takeaway from it, too. The SEC hadn't – they just kind of let stuff go under the guise of, well, we don't comment on you know current events such as it were. You know, that that boilerplate speech you always get, but I just I don't believe they can let it happen because and Greg McElroy had a tweet about this, and if you read the whole tweet the whole Twitter line, one of the things he said was players are going to start chasing rings, and let's be realistic here, Drew, the only team that you can be assured of chasing a ring every year 
almost in the country. I mean, I think you can you can put maybe Michigan there and Ohio State in that conversation. Maybe LSU, if Les Miles is able to do what he said he might was going to try and do this past off season. But you know, there are only like five programs that you can even consider if you want a legitimate shot at a championship ring. And it's not Georgia, it's not Florida, it's not Tennessee. It's certainly not Ole Miss or anyone else in the West, really, with, like I said, the exception of LSU. It's Alabama. So if a culture, if the culture starts where football players want to chase rings, Alabama's going to reap, quite frankly, reap a whirlwind. And I don't think that's good for the game. I think that the folks that are beating their chests about how this should be allowed, and kids da 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 da. You know, you, we, I don't want to go back over the rhetoric. They don't seem to realize that this could really blow up in their face. And quite frankly, I hope there are people either on the Twitterverse or on the radio waves or in print that if they if this rule goes through and most Smiths allowed to transfer, and then Alabama, you know, ends up winning overall by pulling in some elite play, some elite graduate transfers from around the SEC. Those Twitter folks take everybody to task and be like, this is what you wanted, and uh, you've made your bed, now sleep in it. Just my opinion. But we'll see. I, I have a hard time believing Sankey does anything but uh, keeps the rule as it is. Well, I would be surprised, too. And then I think we've seen that Kirby Smart, um, his uh, <laughs> he's uh, had his own issues later this week. Uh, as we've seen uh, – uh, the linebacker from Georgia transfer out of the program and go to a Division II school. Uh, it's saying that he was uh, basically uh, uh, kicked off, would have been kicked off the team, and Kirby Smart wanted him to leave. He was uh, he'd been a third leading tackler last year with 67 tackles, but was the leading tackler coming back on this team. And uh, Kirby Smart claims he had academic difficulties uh, during the sp- the spring semester when he was suspended for a short time. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, I you, you don't know. Uh, for sure, the young man claims he didn't have academic difficulties, and he's going to transfer to a Division II school uh, to play his last season. But I just thought uh, that it was very interesting uh, after all this rhetoric uh, from so many people and from Kirby Smart that uh, he also has a uh, young man uh, transfer as well. In uh, in the, the circumstances being, uh, you know, just a little bit. Uh, you know, questionable. I don't think uh, it's going to be the media firestorm that follows Nick Saban because, Thomas, and I, I think you're going to agree with this, everything involving Alabama in, it gets overblown, in my opinion. But, you know, but we'll see uh, where that goes from here. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, Alabama has always got a target on their back no matter what because, as you said, Thomas, uh, if you want to go uh, try to win a national championship, uh, he, Alabama's on a very short list of schools that has done that. Uh, and speaking of, I, people, some people may say it's a a uh, a you know a, a bad sign because of the track record. But uh, uh, Sports Illustrated picked Alabama to win the national championship again today. Matter of fact, uh, they picked their college football playoff uh, foursome. And surprisingly, uh, Ohio State was not in there to some people. Uh, but they had two ACC teams, uh, with Clemson being the second seed behind Alabama, the third seed uh, being the Florida State Seminoles, 
and the fourth seed being the Michigan Wolverines, which would set up an epic battle between Nick Saban and Jim Harbaugh, who have traded barbs uh, this whole offseason. But I know now on the Sunbelt 10 top line, we do have William Redfish Barger. And, William, uh, we just were talking a little bit about the, the most missed situation finally hopefully going away. Uh, what do you think Greg Sankey's going to do now that Nick Saban's put all the pressure on him? Uh, repeat the question again, Drew. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, uh, what are your thoughts now? Nick Saban putting all the pressure on Greg Sankey, kind of trying to take it off his own back. Alabama taking a lot of heat about Maurice Smith. Uh, but now he, he, they, they give him the trans, they give Alabama the transfer. As far as they give Mo Smith the ability to transfer within the SEC, pardon me. Uh, now he can go to Georgia if okay. uh, Greg Sankey uh, waves the rule. But the the rule, you know, I heard I was on the, the radio with a the, with a radio personality, Matt Moscona yeah, in Louisiana. He, he he told me that he didn't think there was a, a rule in place. I think there is, but it just depends on if that school will release the young man. Uh, there's been other players released to an SEC school. Alabama did not want to release uh, Maurice Smith. Now he is. Uh, but uh, now Greg Sankey must go ahead and give him the waiver. Uh, I know they've given, I guess, waivers to a few young men before, but what do you think Greg Sankey's going to do with Maurice Smith? You know, I don't know, Drew. I mean, I think it's a, an interesting topic for discussion. At the same time, I, you know, I personally feel like, um, you know, every graduate transfer, you know, within whatever conference they're playing in should be allowed to transfer within the conference. You know, if they've graduated in three or four years and got their degree, um, I, th- I think they should be given the latitude to, uh, you know, transfer within the conference. So, um, you know, and I, I think that, you know, you see in the, the, the segments out of Tuscaloosa where Nick Saban has said, okay, you know, we've given him his unconditional release. I think that's the signal that, you know, all college football is looking for. So we'll have to wait and see how the SEC office rolls on this. Yeah, we're just going to have to wait and see. And you would think, William, that it would be sooner rather than later. Uh, I I told someone today uh, that it would probably be no later than this coming Monday because of fall camp being underway the way it is. What is your take on that? It's got to be a quick timeline, correct? Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, they're going to have to uh, decide that very quickly. Uh, no doubt about that. Well, but uh, William, I, I know you uh, were, were not at Fan Day this past Sunday for the open practice, but uh, we I attended. Several people did. It's it is hard to tell a lot from uh, an open practice because Nick Saban's not going to show you too much. But you could glean at least the, the talent level of the squad uh, and uh, some guys that passed the eye test. It was very interesting. Now uh, the real litmus test is this coming Saturday, and I know you plan on attending. Uh, the scrimmage at Bryant Denny Stadium on Saturday afternoon. This is where some jobs can be won or lost. Yeah, I, don't know, I think that's something that you know everybody has to take into consideration. Is you know, uh, you know, for people that, that you know that kind of glue into um, you know the, the the practice notes and, and what the media is allowed to see. Um, I think what you have to put into perspective is. You know, 80% of this is not just with the quarterbacks. It's, you know, with the right guard situation. It's it's with the, uh, you know, the corner spot opposite of Marlin. 80% of the decision-making process 
that, that goes into who's going to start, who's going to play, you know, it, it boils down to who performs what um, at, at the scrimmage, you know, day after tomorrow on Saturday and, and you know, the next one the Saturday after that. So, you know, all the stuff that's been fed to, you know, the fan base, and I'm not saying that it's not accurate. It's, it's very accurate. But you have to take into consideration that, you know, what, what goes into that decision-making process still has not been played out yet. And, you know, let's just all, you know, take a chill pill, whether it involves the quarterback situation you know, the right guard position or that other corner spot opposite Marlon Humphrey, um, that's all going to be decided, you know, really as you look at it on the calendar between this Saturday and next Saturday. And it will, William, there's no doubt about that. And there has even been some talk this week, uh, and Rodney Orr has hinted about it on Tighter Insider about uh, Bradley Bozeman perhaps getting work at right tackle, and he has, and maybe uh, starting Jonah Williams along slowly. I still think there's a very good chance, I'd say 70% or better, that he will start his first game against Southern California and that Bozeman has a better shot at the right guard spot. What is your take on it? Um, You know, nothing against Rodney. He's a good friend of mine. We've known each other for 25 years. But I'm going to have to see – uh, you know, the evidence of that, you know, from, from what he's reporting and talking about as far as, you know, Jonah Williams not starting at right tackle. Um, uh, you know, again, it just doesn't make sense to me. And, you know, a lot of times people, you know, call me and give me information and stuff about, you know, who's doing what and what's going on, you know, with the program. And I think you have to look at, you know, who's getting the reps in practice. And I understand that, you know, media people are allowed to see 15 minutes of practice on a day-to-day basis. But, again, you know, I'll be there Saturday. Um, If I see somebody, you know, whether it's Bradley Bozeman or or Corin Kerbin or, you know, Scott Lashley, whoever, you know, if I see somebody else alternating with Jonah Williams on Saturday, they say, you know what, guys, I was wrong. Um, I saw this happening, but I don't buy that at all. And I'm in the same boat. I Again, I think uh, Jonah is going to make enough progress and has already uh, to start. Uh, Bradley Bozeman may very well uh, start uh, at the right guard spot. Uh, but he's still got to beat out Shank Taylor again. Shank, uh, you know, came on at the end of fall camp last year to beat him out. Shank uh, still, uh, you know, trying to uh, get his way, uh, work his way back, I should say, from the doghouse uh, with the off-field issues and the weight gain. Uh, but he looks like he's already moved up to second team, so he's on his way. Uh, but uh, just uh, watching uh, the, uh, the uh, pr- open practice on Sunday, William, a lot of good-looking young players. Uh, and a little bit surprised um, it, it, where some of them are, are practicing right now. Though that doesn't mean anything because, as we, as you said, we you know we saw Trevon Diggs play wide receiver uh, and safety uh, in that practice, and this week he's mostly been with the safeties. So that was pretty much what everyone thought uh, coming out in the recruiting process for that young man. 
Yeah, and I think that's something that, you know, everybody has to take into consideration is, you know, when you get the opportunity to see an open practice under Nick Saban, you know, you're getting to see a Hollywood production, so to speak. Um, you know, you're getting to see what he wants you to see. And, you know, he knows that there's, you know, media people there from every outlet. Um, there's obviously, you know, fans in the stand that can get on Twitter and Instagram and all the other social media stuff. But, you know, the thing that I find so intriguing about it is, um, you know, this time last year, Bradley Bozeman came out of spring practice as a starter at right guard. Okay. So correct. You know, he comes out of spring practice to start at right guard and, you know, goes through summer workouts. Nobody ever mentions that, you know, he's in some sort of, you know, battle with Shane Taylor at the right guard spot. Um, you know, I go to the, the, the first scrimmage last year, Bradley Bozeman's the right guard. Uh, then, you know, the next thing I know, uh, the week later, Alphonse Taylor's the starter at right guard. And, you know, I didn't see anything in the first scrimmage that led me to believe that, you know, he got beat, he got abused, whatever, you know, that it causes you to lose your, your starting position. Um, but, you know, it happens, and, and it happened last year. So, you know, let's just – everybody needs to kind of take a chill pill and, and sit back and watch. Um you know, I've talked about this on numerous radio shows in the last two weeks, including yours, Drew. Um, you have to uh, let this thing play out, and how it plays out determines who gets to start and who doesn't. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're way too early in summer camp start making predictions about who's going to do what. Yeah, it, it is a little bit early. Uh, the, this scrimmage will uh, be very important coming up on Saturday. And then, of course, I will get a chance to attend the one, uh, the REC scrimmage on uh, on the 20th, and that will go even further to deciding who is going to uh, win the quarterback job and who uh, and right guard, see if Jonah Williams is going to cement himself uh, at right tackle. It's all, but it's been very interesting though to see all the young players, and uh, we've seen Ben Davis, we've seen uh, Lindell Mac Wilson. Though I do think uh, he will, he, there's still a chance he redshirts, though he could play special teams. Uh, but there's they have they have they have a chance to be pretty deep. And one encouraging thing, uh, William, the last couple of days you, you're starting to hear Jamar King is getting more and more comfortable, and uh, he's definitely going to be counted on to try to. Uh, make that D-line too deep this year. Not going to be three like last year, but still got a chance to develop some depth, and that's what these uh, one of the more important parts of these scrimmages also. Well, no, I think that conversation that you're having, you know, about the, the, the defensive line, um, you know, people need to understand that last year was the exception, not the rule. And, you know, Drew, I, you know, I hear this over and over again about, you know, the defense last year. And, and I think that, you know, Alabama fans got a little bit over-romanticized about, you know, what it actually was. 
you know, when you look at it on paper and, and what they actually produced. Um, and, you know, again, I'm not trying to say that, you know, they weren't great or they weren't elite. What they really were good at, you know, from a, a statistical standpoint, they had the number one rushing defense, um, you know, prior to them going into the playoffs. They had the number one pass rushing defense. But if you look at everything else, you know, you, you factor in the, you know, the two playoff games, they they ended up being a defense that gave up 14.5 points a game. And the reason I say that, I'm not trying to be negative or anything like that, but that is actually, if you go over the nine years of Nick Saban being the head coach at Alabama, that's actually the average for a Nick Saban defense. You know, if 2011 was the, the golden horseshoe and, you know, 08 and, and 12 and, you know, 13, whatever, is the other outliers. Uh, but that, that's what they averaged giving up. So, you know, I personally think, you know, despite all the other stuff going on, I think this year's team has a chance to be better than last year's defense. And that would be amazing uh, if that happened because of the 52 sacks and, as you said, uh, leading the nation in rushing defense. But as, but you also rightly pointed out uh, that was not the norm, the depth on the D-line. But with, uh, you know, uh, injury luck and some guys developing, I don't think there's any question that this defense, after what I saw on on Sunday, has a chance to be very, very talented uh, because in all three levels they have playmakers and uh, excellent young players who are going to push for playing time. Uh, I think uh, the secondary definitely – I know they lost Cyrus Jones, one of my favorite guys, but they've got some good young players uh, sitting back there, especially some true freshmen also. Uh, and then they still have outstanding pass rushers. And you've got Christian Miller, who's a year better, uh, and you've got Anthony Jennings. They have a chance to have a very good pass rush, no question about that. Well, you know, the thing that stands out to me, Drew, about the defense is if you go back to the A-Day game, and, you know, that's the – you know, that's the ticket that most Alabama fans got to watch. And, you know, you see, you know, Bo Scarborough struggling to, you know, get yards versus that first-team defense. And, you know, you look at that point total that was put up, which was, you know, not real impressive. Um, the, the thing that I would point to that, that people are, are not really talking about is, you know, Alabama has upgraded at the defensive coordinator position. Um, you know, we're not, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about Jeremy Pruitt's credentials, but we will right. talk about what he has done away from Nick Saban as a defensive coordinator. Um, you Good know, point. at Florida State, at Florida State uh, first year out of the box, number one defense in the country. Um he, he leaves after one year, goes to Georgia, um, takes them from the 85th best defense to the 15th best defense in the country. 
uh, in year two um, with no help out of the offense. He takes them to the number seven defense in the country. And this was with a bunch that has not produced a number one draft pick, not named Leonard Floyd, who should have never have been a number one draft pick. Um, he gets to that elite status. What I would say to Alabama fans is this. If you love Kirby Smart, you're a Kirby Smart guy. Let's see what he does, you know, over the next three years with what he's got to work with at Georgia. And I agree uh, completely, uh, William. Uh, he A lot of times uh, I know people have, including myself, have talked about uh, uh, you know the, the, the you know some of the numbers in as far as rushing defense at Georgia. He still had a a top twenty national defense, really top ten last year. Uh, they were number one against the pass, but struggled sometimes against the run. But and I hate to say this about Mark Rick because he has a heck of a record, but sometimes it's the head coach uh, you're uh, working for. Uh, and uh, he was an offensive guy, not a defensive guy. I know Coach Pruitt kind of struggled with trying to change the culture at Georgia over there. Uh, but now he's back working for someone he's very comfortable with in Nick Saban. Uh, and I do think that all around, I, do, I, I think it's an upgrade as well, especially from the standpoint of recruiting and evaluating players. And I think it's, it's uh, close enough to be a wash as a coach. And uh, Jeremy Pruitt, he's already, as you said, already left Alabama and won a national title. Uh, and continued uh, to win at Georgia. But uh, he won a national title at Florida State in his first year as the defensive coordinator and uh, and led that comeback in the second half with his adjustments, which showed a lot of uh, excellent coaching uh, when uh, Florida State had was down 20-3 to and came back to beat Auburn. No, and I totally agree with you, Drew, and I think that's something to watch for this year. As, you know, as Alabama fans, I mean, you know, he's got the same amount of talent um, that he had at Florida State in 2013. Um, you know, I'm not going to make, you know, any kind of, you know, predictions or whatever is going to happen. But I will say this. He has the same amount of talent that he had when he went to Florida State in 2013. When you look at the number one draft picks that are on campus for Alabama, you know, the John Allens, the Deron Paynes, the, the Deshaun Hands, the Reuben Fosters, the Rashawn Evans, uh, the Marlon Humphreys, the Minka Fitzpatrick, um, it's all there laid out in front of everybody. I think that Nick Saban and Jeremy Pruitt have a chance this year to rewrite the record books for what a college football uh, lockdown defense actually has a chance to do. And that's a very, very heady praise. I mean, we know how good the defense is, uh, has been year in and year out under Coach Saban, um, especially after his first season starting in 2008. Defensively, Alabama has been pretty much elite every year. Uh, they have been prone to giving up the big play at times vertically in the passing game, but I think that's also uh, the, uh, the, the uh, outstanding because uh, we know Coach Pruitt is a secondary guy. I think Derek Ainsley, and that, I, this hasn't been played up enough, uh, I, talking to Freddie Magger, who's very close to that uh, Kentucky program, 
there's no question about it uh, that uh, uh, that uh, that, uh, that uh, he he believes Derek Ainsley is a future head coach in a decade in the SEC, and Kentucky's going to have, as he put it uh, on my show, maybe the best secondary in school history. And he gave Derek Ainsley a lot of credit for that. He's going to be tutoring the secondary along with Nick Saban, which you know that's going to be a very strong unit. So. Uh, I agree. I think this defense has a chance to be special. Just need to have some injury luck along the defensive line uh, for and, uh, and in the secondary a little bit while some young players mature. But uh, talent uh, everywhere, all over uh, the uh, the three levels of this defense. And I think, William, I, you, I think you'll probably agree with me, but could be the uh, most outstanding linebacker core Alabama's had. Well, you know, it's funny that, uh, you know, he thinks that about him being a a head coach inside of uh, that time frame because, you know, the guy that I lean on and, I, you know, I depend on about, you know, talking about the University of Alabama, uh, Jeremy Pruitt has already written off uh, Derek Ainsley as being a, uh, a defensive back coach for Alabama for the next two years. Uh, he told me back in the spring, uh, you know, forget about it. Um, if we get to keep him for two years, um, we're lucky. He's going to be a defensive coordinator, you know, inside that time frame. And, you know, what you just told me about him, you know, from that guy, uh, you know, yeah, he's gone. Uh, that, that, that's, the, that's, the, that's the simple thinking um, about D.A., uh, Derek Ainsley, and how good he is and what a big pickup he was for the Alabama coaching staff. Yes, he was, and we know how high uh, Nick Saban is on the on uh, Derek Ainsley as a young coach. Uh, he was uh, they hired him as a GA from Huntington College, and he stayed at Alabama a couple of years. And he's done some uh, turns at Tennessee, uh, and he was going to be named co-defensive coordinator at Kentucky. Uh, he's he's just been an outstanding coach, and uh, wherever he's gone, he's had a lot of success, been well received on the recruiting trail, and. Uh, he's an outstanding young coach. I mean, it says a lot for Alabama. He he turned down the uh, the raise at Kentucky and or or left that on the table and uh, being a co-defensive coordinator uh, for the Wildcats to come to Alabama or to and coach under Nick Saban again. But like you said, Jeremy Pruitt believes uh, they're not going to have him for long, and so it's going to be very interesting to see uh, what happens. Uh, with uh, with him and uh, and uh, this secondary, I'm really excited to see what he can do, uh, making uh, Minka Fitzpatrick uh, better as a player. Uh, I got a chance to speak to Minka uh, at media day. He's very excited. He said he doesn't really know his role yet. Uh, he said that uh, his role is going to be one that's uh, evolving. Uh, he they're trying to decide. He said he spent most of the spring at corner, uh, but has now been playing the nickel, and that's all going to come down to Anthony Averett or Kendall Sheffield. Uh, more than likely, if whoever can be the third corner for and earn the trust of the coaching staff. But uh, speaking of that, though, I'm I'm also this is year two for Tosh Lapoy, and I spoke to Ryan Anderson as well, uh, William. And Ryan Anderson reveres Tosh Lapoy. You can tell he's helped so many of those guys, and it just shows how how, how good coaching can make a difference because that position is night and day since uh, Lance Thompson left the university. No, you bring up a great point, Drew. Um, you know, I never will forget uh, sitting at a 
a dinner table across from Lance Thompson three years ago, and you know somebody asked him the question about you know hey uh, why 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 isn't Ryan Anderson getting to play? And you know Lance Thompson's you know response was well he's got short arms and you know he can't do what we ask him to do, and you know everybody attacked him about that and. You know, that that's all, you know, water under the bridge. I think everybody that's an Alabama fan saw what Ryan Anderson was capable of doing last year. Once he was able to be a full-time player and, you know, get, get unleashed on the rest of college football. But, uh, you know, that that's what you have to understand about, you know, people that talk to coaches. You know, they get, you know, different information and it's, so different, you know, from from one, you know, person to the other. And, you know, I think now what we're looking at is, uh, the, you know, that other cornerback spot. And, you know, is it going to be Anthony Averett? Is it going to be, you know, Kendall Sheffield? Obviously, Marlon's got that other side of the field locked down. Um, so, you know, that's where we're at now. You know, it, it's, you know, is it Anthony Averett? Is it uh, Kendall Sheffield, you know, is, is one of these true freshmen, you know, going to factor in there? And, you know, what a great position for Alabama to be in, um, you know, especially when you look at the head coach and, you know, he kind of dotes on that, that quarterback spot being, um, you know, his his own bailiwick. Um, so, you know, it's a great spot to be in as an Alabama fan. And, uh, you know, I think your your version of, uh, you know, Ryan Anderson being a guy that, you know, was waiting to break out, um, you know, now you have to look at it as Ryan Anderson is not going to break out. Uh, he's locked in at Jack. you got to look at the that other cornerback spot over there. And that's interesting because Anthony Averett had a very good spring, William. And uh, look to be the uh, starter opposite Marlon Humphrey, but Kendall Sheffield uh, is a five-star. He did red shirt, but he seems to be asserting himself this uh, fall camp. We will see who wins that battle. Uh, and uh, we, we, you know, we could even see some freshmen like Jared Maiden and Shy Carter continue to get reps. But it looks like it's a two-way dance between Anthony Averett uh, and uh, Kendall Sheffield. Uh, and uh, Kendall uh, struggled a little bit last year. Uh, at times in practice and with acclimating to the SEC. Uh, but that redshirt year may have done him some good. Anthony Averett has been patient. Uh, I think he, it's hard to believe. I believe he's already a redshirt junior, but should be a spirited battle. And even uh, no matter what, even if, uh, you know, whoever loses it still should be involved in the nickel and dime. So uh, it's still going to make Alabama's uh, secondary uh, better, I would think. Well, you know, Jerry, the thing that I look at is this. It's it's really interesting that, you know, you and I are talking about what's going on in the back end of the defense, um, which, which tells me that there, there's not a lot of questions about the front seven of the Alabama defense, which is, you know, that's the, the thing that if you're going to keep making that $4 million or, or $5 million paycheck, whatever, you know, Nick Saban is making now, He's got that. And if you go into fall camp and, you know, there's only one question mark about, you know, what's going on over there on the defensive side of the football, 
and all you have to worry about is a cornerback battle over there, um, you know, dude, that, that's the, the, the stuff that championship teams are made of. Um, and the, the way that I look at this team for 2016, um, good luck. You, you, you have to, you know, you've got John Allen, who is a first-round draft pick. You've got Deron Payne, who is a first-round draft pick. Um, you know, if you want to fast-forward to next year, uh, Deshaun Hand is a first-round draft pick. Uh, Reuben Foster is a first-round draft pick. Um, if Rashawn Evans is able to take over um, that inside linebacker spot, he is too. So I look at, you know, you know, Jerry, you and I talk about football all the time. And the way I look at it is um, who are the best players on the, the, the line of scrimmage on both sides of the football? And Alabama's got that. So, you know, let's talk about the football, uh, the, the quarterback battle, because that's all that matters. Exactly. Uh, the quarterback battle is going to be very interesting. Uh, we saw three of them do some good things on a Sunday. Cooper Bateman finished strong after a very slow start, uh, threw the ball well, hit O.J. Howard. Uh, for a, We're on a nice timing route in the end zone. Just does not have the lead arm talent, uh, but he seems to, according to the coaches, have the best um, you know, uh, grasp of the offense. So that, that's very, very interesting. But uh, the two young quarterbacks – as expected, both looked improved. I, the, the consensus was all three looked improved from the spring, but I thought the young QBs showed the most. I thought Barnett had an outstanding practice, but, of course, Jalen Hurts made plays too. There's no doubt he he can play uh, and he is a very talented football player. Uh, then it, It's really going to be interesting to see how they split reps among these three on uh, Saturday and who plays the best, and it's all going to come down uh, to uh, who protects the football, really. Well, you know, the thing that I want to see out of Blake Barnett is this. Um, he's done a great job in, in the scrimmage situation that I've seen him in. Um, but what, what, what he absolutely fails doing is, you know, he gets some confidence. You know, he moves the chains. Um, and then all of a sudden, boom, he throws a, a pick six. Um, you know, what I want to see him do is, you know, not move the chains and, you know, make better decisions. Um, you know, I know you've seen him, you know, too, Drew. Um, but, you know, look, people are talking about, you know, Cooper Baton being out of the steel. Um We'll see what happens, but I, I I don't think that Cooper Bateman is as bad as people think he is. Oh well, he he'll get a chance to prove it uh, in these next two scrimmages because that's the most important thing. I mean, uh, if he if he does his thing and and is uh, efficient and moves the team and they score touchdowns, that's all that's going to matter. That's what Saban wants. He wants the quarterback to play Saban ball and to and to move the football team and to do a solid job of making decisions. Uh, and, and Cooper is a good athlete. He's not out of it by any stretch. As a matter of fact, I think he has a slight lead. 
the other two young players. Uh, I, I would say Barnett is a close second. Hertz is a close third. They're bunched up. The only one to me that's truly out of it is David Cornwell. Uh, he's hurt with a foot injury, hasn't got that many reps, and already had some issues the way he finished the last two spring practices. So it looks to be a three-horse race, and uh, Jalen Hurts is squarely in the mix there and has a unique skill set that the others did not, and he's, he's an outstanding talent, and he brings the mobility uh, to the uh, position that hasn't uh, you know, been there, even more so than Blake Sims, who is a heck of an athlete in his own right. Totally agree, and, you know, I think, Drew, you know, you have a unique perspective because, you know, you go down there and watch them. Um, let's, let's just say that, you know, Blake Barnett's the guy going into uh, the scrimmage tomorrow. Um, what What's going to go on is can Blake Barnett, because this is what I've seen out of him, um, he does good, and there, there's, you know, drives, and then all of a sudden he goes, you know, uh, retard mode. It's, you know, throwing the interceptions after interceptions. Uh, let's see what he does um, for the first time. And, you know, let's see. We're going to have to see. I mean, it's all in his hands, man. He's got to go out and not turn the ball over and build on what I saw on Sunday. And uh, I thought he looked much more confident. I know he's worked hard. He's worked with George Whitfield again. He's he's busted his tail in the film room and the weight room, but so is Jalen Hurts, uh, who is a unique talent. Uh, And then Cooper Bateman is not going to take it lightly. He's going to go out and try to execute. And I want to see how the running backs perform, William. I know we've seen some good things out of both Scarborough, uh, he 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 looked pretty good at the workout. The consensus seemed to be that they they had four solid backs. Uh, you know, Damian Harris made some nice runs, and then we saw the two freshmen. Really, uh, seems to be a lot of buzz this week out of B.J. Emmons, and he did uh, run over Tony Brown Sunday as well. Uh, but B.J. Emmons is making uh, some uh, some inroads there, and I think creating some buzz. And then. Uh, uh, and then also uh, Joshua Jacobs, who's had a little bit of a thigh contusion and missed some practice time. But I think they have four solid backs. I'm going to be interested to see if they all protect the ball and how they do uh, on Saturday. And I know you're going to be watching them closely, especially kind of what Bo Scarborough has been doing off the ball. No, good topic of conversation, Drew. Um, and what I saw in those videos was – Damian Harris actually outperforming Bo Scarborough. Um, you know, again, you know, it happens. And uh, I would say um, if it does, okay. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, Bo Scarborough uh, is being counted on by many to be the feature uh, back uh, for the Crimson Tide this year after having the strong spring. Uh, drawing comparisons to, uh, from former players who were on the team last year that had to practice against him uh, to Derrick Henry, who's starting to assert himself with the Tennessee Titans. But always tough shoes. 
uh, to fill there. And Bo, of course, has had the injury history. But Derek, or excuse me, Damian Harris uh, was a five-star from Berea, Kentucky, number one running back in the country. And as you said, William, uh, in the spring game especially, looked like much like Derrick Henry in the bowl game against Oklahoma in the Sugar Bowl, looked like the light had come on for him. He was doing a lot of things. It was very well-rounded, catching the ball, running hard. And then BJM odds, uh, because of his academic situation, I think some of the recruiting services uh, had him underrated. Uh, he's a very good back. John Garcia, who's a great friend of this show, saw him in person a couple of times and just lauded his ability. He's uh, gotten off to a nice start. He's the perfect kind of Burton Burns back. And then Joshua Jacobs, you've already made reference to it, William. Uh, they don't have right now one of the all-purpose guys uh, like a Kenyon Drake. He could fill that role as well. So, I, But I, I still have a lot of confidence in these backs because you know how good Burton Burns is and what a great football coach, uh, the best running backs coach in college football. I still think this group is going to be very good. And then – uh, when you t- when you talk when you talk about the wide receiver group, it's going to be the deepest of the Saban era. It's just outstanding. Uh, we had a chance to see them. There was some drops on Sunday, and has been some drops this week. Uh, but again, that's nothing that can't be corrected. Uh, I just think right now they've got their top five, which of course is Calvin Ridley and Robert Foster. Robert Foster looked outstanding. Uh, he and Calvin Ridley would be the best duo in the country based upon what I saw from Robert on Sunday, and then him being back. No issues with the shoulder, scar tissue removed, no nerve damage, of course, now that we've learned. And uh, he looked very good. And then Garrick Dieter probably going to be in the slot. Greg McElroy did not pick Garrick Dieter as one of his top five newcomers in the SEC. Uh, just uh, today on SEC Now, I think he's wrong. I think Garrick Dieter is going to make a big impact, a lot bigger impact than John Franklin III, who he picked fifth. I think John Franklin's got his own set of issues in the way it translates to the SEC. Uh, but And then you have Cameron Sims, who looks much better uh, following the knee surgery. He did have a couple of drops on Sunday, and uh, but uh, he's still very talented. And that doesn't even count our Darius Stewart, who is the toughest of, the, of this wide receiver group. You could almost say he's the leader. You just talk about based on talking to the rest of the guys because of what he brings as a blocker and all-around player and the toughness he plays with and he really improved the last half of the year. So you've got five really good receivers. Just got to find a six. Nick Saban admitting they'd like to rotate six. It's going to be interesting to see if Derek Keith ends up being that guy or if someone else uh, comes out of uh, the woodworks to uh, claim that job. Andrew, you're right. Unfortunately, Redfish dropped off. I'm not real sure what happened. But, uh, you know, I-, I have to say I'm looking forward to what Fish is going to bring this uh, next week. Yeah, because, it should be great stuff. I mean, it's it's the first time, and I know that scrimmages, uh, fish is, we've said it on this program before, scrimmages are scripted to a certain to a certain level. You know, you'll, red zone will be a thing. There will be a lot of work with that, you know, 20 yards and in, et cetera, et cetera. But as, has, as we've also said, you have to perform. You have to perform. You have to perform. And... I like to believe that the powers that be are going to step up and find, excuse me, and find a quarterback, a running back. I think it's interesting. I hadn't heard. I only caught bits and pieces of your conversation with Redfish, but the reviews of B.J. Emmons, that's not to say that I expected him to fall on his face. I just think it's interesting who he's been able to, you know, in times outdo. I didn't realize that, and that's pretty exciting. So, I mean, it's it's just – 
to me, and, and this is just you know crimson glasses on because I'm so busy with school. It's exciting because yes, there are issues with the team, but it's not something that's going to prevent them. It's going to completely hamstring them, and that's a pretty good spot to be in a weekend of fall camp, if you ask me. Absolutely, uh, it's a pretty good spot to be in, and. Uh, William uh, had some strong comments about the defense, thinks it could be even better than last year. Uh, and last year's group, you know, uh, did not uh, finish uh, strong in the in the bowl game against Clemson, but a lot of that had to do with how talented Clemson was. Uh, and those guys, uh, you know, had a special quarterback in Deshaun Watson. Alabama still showed a lot of toughness in finding uh, a way to win the game. So uh, it was very, very interesting to see that and how it all worked out. Uh, no doubt about it, but uh, I enjoyed Williams' uh, commentary as always. Always uh, brings the heat, always opinionated. Uh, and, and in a couple of minutes, we're going to take our five-minute break here and bring you another outstanding conversation. Uh, coach Jimmy Fuller, uh, longtime offensive line coach for 15 seasons for the Crimson Tide, also played at Alabama from uh, 64 to 67. And the reason that is so uh, you know important there is his roommate was the one and the only, and he's now a Hall of Famer, and that is Kenny the Snake Stabler. And he's going to reminisce about the snake who, Thomas, as we all know, uh, went into Canton uh, posthumously, unfortunately, uh, now that he has passed away. But he finally got his due uh, along with Joe Willie Namath and Bart Starr. Alabama, the only school uh, to have three quarterbacks in Canton, Ohio. Yeah, I heard that stat, and I am taking absolutely nothing away from Kenny Stabler or anybody else when I say this. But it, it, can, can we move past Alabama players getting hosed by Halls of Fame? <laughs> because I can remember two times on this program regarding one Kenny Stabler. We had an excellent interview probably six months ago with uh, A.P. Stedham breaking down that case. Right. And then are, I think what has been the biggest travesty that has since been rectified, but the biggest travesty of any Hall of Fame that I've ever heard of with uh, Derek Thomas not getting in the College Football Hall of Fame. So uh, I, I'm sincerely hoping that the Hall of Fame curse that appears to be on Alabama players where folks just refuse to realize that they were exceptional has been lifted. And, and Drew, I just want to go back real fast before uh, – before we take our break, about that time. And I'm not going to disagree with Redfish in terms of the defense, mm-hmm. but I, I think the way I would put it, and Murph Baldwin on my uh, on Alabama scheme team, he and I have talked about this a little bit. Yes. But uh, it's not going to be better, I'm not sure, but I think it's going to be able to do things differently. Mm. And I think that's really the key because the secondary is – the secondary stacked, and the linebackers, I mean, I, I'm not going to say that Reuben Foster is going to be better than Reggie Ragland, but I think right. with how Jeremy Pruitt is going to use some of those players, they're going to do things a little differently, a little more speed, a little less of the oomph that Kirby Smart really liked. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's the real key to emphasize. There's nothing wrong with an Alabama defense doing things differently because they're going to do it at an elite level. So I'm really looking forward to this defense. I think it's going to be, I don't want to say a completely new experience, but I think there are going to be some little wrinkles that are going to be a lot of fun to watch. And 
you know, golly, if it, if it turns out and Fish is, is absolutely right and you know, the defense is unequivocally better, buckle up because it's going to be a hell of a season. Oh, no doubt about it. Alabama could repeat. Uh, they could make Sports Illustrated correct. Uh, you're right about that, Thomas. And in our second hour, we're also going to be joined at 830, so you can buckle up for this. His first BAMS radio appearance in a while, uh, Ryan Fowler, who's been on the practice field for the second two-a-day for Alabama, will be joining us at 830 and give us some of his thoughts and opinions on what he's seen both uh, at uh, the uh, Fan Day, Media Day practice and this week. Uh, he always has excellent insight. Uh, he, when he can, he does go to the media viewing period and tied 1029. Uh, his employer does uh, every day. They have someone there. So, he, and he gleans a lot of insight from other sources. So, look forward to speaking to him at 830. But I know we got to take our five-minute break here, Thomas, our sabbatical, so uh, we can come back and uh, we'll have the uh, Jimmy Fuller audio locked and loaded. We would have our break if I could get audio to run. I think it's coming now. Okay, we got it. Sorry. <laughs> Rolling down a backwoods, Tennessee byway. One arm on the wheel. Holding my lover with the other. A sweet, soft, southern thrill. Worked hard all week. Got a little jingle on a Tennessee Saturday night. Couldn't feel better. I'm together with my Dixieland tonight. Spend my dollar, park in a holler, need the mountain moonlight. Hold her up tight, make a little loving. A little turn of it on a Mason Dixon night. It's my life, oh so right. My Dixieland delight. Munching on clover, red-tailed hawk sitting on a limb. Chubby old groundhog, croaking bullfrog. Free as a feeling in the wind. Homegrown country girl, gonna give me a whirl. On a Tennessee Saturday night. Lucky as a seven. Living in heaven with my Dixieland delight. Spend my dollar, park in a holler, meet the mountain moonlight. Hold her up tight, make a little loving, a little turtle dove in on a Mason Dixon night. This is my life.
BAMS Radio. Dixieland Delight might still be banned in Bryant-Denny Stadium, but uh, not banned here. Exactly. A nice job, Thomas, getting us back um, from our small break. Now we're going to bring you a conversation that I was honored to have a week ago uh, on Friday. You know, this past a week ago tomorrow, I was able to sit down with former offensive line coach and Crimson Tide player Jimmy Ford who roomed with one Kenny the Snake Stabler, and it was an unforgettable conversation reminiscing about his old friend who is now rightly in the NFL Hall of Fame. Jimmy Fuller. Coach Fuller, how are you doing this morning, sir? Hey, I am blessed, my good friend. It's good to talk to you. Thanks for allowing me to come on, and it's an honor and uh, very much a pleasure to talk about someone that I dearly love and uh, still do. Uh and that's the snake. Yes, and, sir. Uh, mm-hmm. Thanks for having me with having me with you. Uh, absolutely, Coach. And I know uh, when you came out of the Birmingham area, Fairfield High School, and uh, you signed with the University of Alabama. Uh, you, you uh, of course, in uh, in uh, Kenny came out of Foley High School. You uh, became fast friends with him. I guess for the listeners, uh, and you had such a, an intimate look at his career, being his teammate and, and roommate and friend. Uh, you know, talk about the first time you met him and just what made him the person he was. You know what? From the moment that I met Kenny, uh, uh, he was just a good, good person. And I want to talk about some of the routes that he's taken later on if we've got some time yes sir but uh i knew then that i liked him uh as a person uh he one thing about snake he never ever refused to talk to anyone that i'm aware of he might have snubbed a a media guy at one time or another and i'm sure he did uh i think i saw nick saban do that yesterday but uh (laughs) Anyway, he he was always willing to take whatever time that he needed to take, his own time, to say hello to someone, to talk with them, answer a question or two. But uh, you name it, he'd talk about it. And uh, he was just a loved guy. But I, the first time that I met him, I knew he was a different different one uh, than just your ordinary person. And uh, there's huh. no question about that, Coach. He he was unique, and and then and he came and he, and he followed in the footsteps of uh, one of the greats of all time, and Joe Willie Namath, and that's what's so amazing. Uh, the, in my opinion, the two greatest quarterbacks to ever uh, put on a crimson jersey were uh, almost, you know, basically back to back and followed one another. And uh, sometimes they say it's hard to follow uh, someone in, in big shoes like that. But Kenny obviously was up to the challenge. And I guess the next question for you is, uh, I know you knew he was special, but how, how about uh, on the playing field? I'm, I'm sure that uh, that didn't take long either. No, it did not. And, uh, of course, Kenny was there for a year before. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Freshman didn't play. So it all give us all uh, uh, a sense of, 
uh, our quarterback situation is going to be in good shape. And you take Namath and Sloan and Stabler, Sloan was not quite in that category of a great player. He was a great person. But uh, we knew that, that at some point Kenny would be taking over the, the reins, and, and he was a guy that was capable of doing anything. He could run uh, the infamous option play that he ran against Auburn in the rain out at Legion Field. And, uh, some 40,000 people said we had a cliff on the play and a hole in the raw side, but Snake found a way to get down that muddy sideline. And the odd thing about that particular play is how many times would you run a left-handed quarterback with an option to the right side? <laughs> <laughs> but he, I think he could have probably thrown it either right or left-handed. But uh, he was an outstanding athlete and could have been a professional baseball player had he chosen to do so. And I think he was drafted, Drew. I'm not sure. Yes, sir, he was. Uh, by, by some team. But uh, I knew pretty quick that, that he had three passions in his life. And uh, that was fast women, fast cars, and fast boats. Uh, he, he could drive uh, a stick shift car. And I didn't know this until I was with him for about a year and a half that uh, he drove race cars down in Foley. He'd get on the drag strip or dirt track or do anything. But he loved, loved race cars. And, uh, in fact, he brought his car that he had that he run down in Foley, Tuscaloosa. Not many people knew about that. Uh, I'm sure Coach Bryant somewhere in the back found out and uh, that race car disappeared and uh, was sent back to Foley. So I'm sure it wasn't Kenny that told him that, that race car's got to go. <laughs> but uh, anyway, oh, man, I could go on and on and on. But here, here's a – Drew, I'm going to move back inside. They're cutting our – Yes, sir. We out here today. Let me get inside and get away from that line hole. Absolutely. Go ahead, Coach. All I've got to do is take two steps. I mean, at any time, if you don't have a section that you need, Drew, just tell me and I'll, I'll get on our home phone and probably can hear better. Are you picking me up okay? Yes, sir, we are. Okay. All right. Uh, where was I going here? Where was I going? You had, you had just uh, talked about uh, Coach Bryant finding his race car oh. and it disappearing. Yeah. Well, I was one of the foolish ones in Tuscaloosa uh, in 1964. We won a national championship, and there were several of us that decided we're going to get us a car. Uh, you know, had our chest poked out there, and it didn't set real well with Coach Bryant that I can't ever remember him saying too much about the other guys that got cars, but I had to be the one to get a Corvette called my dad one day and told him, so Dad, I'm going to get a new car down here in Montgomery. He said, what you getting, son? I said, I'm getting a Corvette. He said, what do you want one of them little economical cars for that you can't get in and out? He was thinking Corvair. Dad, it's, no, no, no. It's not a Corvair. It's a Corvette. <laughs> and the next thing I was mouth, I said, well, how are you going to pay for it? And I said, well, I'm going to work here in the summer. And it was a deal I couldn't refuse, but Coach Bryant found out that uh, this little old guy that got a Corvette and 
Kenny used to love to drive that Corvette. I mean, he, I think he's the one that got me in trouble buzzing around town, didn't it? But it was it was me and my car. Coach Bryant never saw me in that vehicle again. I can tell you, I did like Mike. I hid that thing. I didn't send it out of town, but I they never saw me driving around on campus uh, with it. But uh, along those same lines, Kenny and I were at uh, Talladega Raceway. All it's been back several years ago, and uh, my brother's company had Kenny and. Uh, the first black Miss America uh, there is their guest, and they were all around taking pictures and this and that and whatever. But anyway, we were on the infield, and prior to the start of the race, yeah, they introduced the drivers and all that. Well, we were sitting uh, in a golf cart there along with some of the drivers. He looked over at one of the drivers, and he said, you know what? He said, I'm just sitting here, sitting here wondering what that guy's thinking about right there. And he's one of the top racers at that time. Uh, he raced for years. He said, I'd just like to know what's going through his mind before he gets out on that track. He said, I'd love to be sitting in that car with him, Jim. Not taking anything away from you. Call me Jim Red. <laughs> and I said, well, Kenny, I don't know what he's thinking either, but I said, I can imagine it's probably like you when you're getting ready for preparation for a game getting ready in the locker room to go out on the field and getting all your thoughts together. He said, I'd just be thinking about going 220 miles an hour. But uh, fast cars, he loved it, man. Uh, and he had a fast arm, too. I, one of the quickest releases, and I'll say this, uh, we've been fortunate in the state of Alabama of having some great quarterbacks. And I'm not talking about the University of Alabama. I'm talking about Pat Sullivan, the, the high school trophy winner down there. Great person, great man. Uh, blessed to have great receivers as we did at Alabama. But, but Snake had to be one of the best two-minute offensive players, quarterbacks, that I've ever been around or ever seen. Uh, he, he was so good at operating the, the selection of plays. And, uh, and delivery. His release, we had a baseball class together, Drew, and uh, we they filmed Kenny one day throwing the ball as a pitcher. And from his release behind his shoulder and his left hand was a complete blur. They would stop it, run it back, stop it, run it back. And you couldn't even see the speed that he had when he delivered from the shoulder to the release of the ball. I mean, it was a flurry. It was exceptionally quick, uh, exceptionally sharp with it, and uh, just just had a great, great arm. But I, I will say this, I still think one of the best two-minute offense. Two-minute offensive quarterbacks that I've ever been around or seen. And, Coach, I think that's an underrated aspect of Kenny's game. Of course, he was a great athlete and a great quarterback, but hearing his, yourself speak about him and then his Raiders teammates back in his day, they really didn't have offensive coordinators. He was a very, very intelligent and football-smart individual. He was, and he loved playing. And I asked him one day, Drew, I said, Snake, tell me who you like. Uh, is it Martin Phillips or is it John Madden? And he said, well, I like them both a lot. He said they were both excellent coaches. 
prepare you, get ready for the game, motivating the team to get ready to play. But he said, they let you alone. They let you alone during the game. And if you played on Sunday, you did what you wanted to. And he said, I sort of like playing it too. I said, I bet you did. I bet you did. You knew you wasn't going kick, to get kicked off again if you did, didn't you? And, uh, but he was he was quite a player and storied career, both with Oakland and ending his career over in Houston. And uh, I think he liked the, the nightlife in Houston about as much as anything. Uh, he loved to win. Uh, he was a competitor uh, and never, ever changed. We got off the plane coming from somewhere. We played a game. Drew, uh, out of town game, and we flew back in. And uh, my first daughter, Kim, uh, my wife, Kim met us at the airport when we come in. And we got off the plane. Kenny said, I can't wait to see little Kimmy. That's what he called her, little Kimmy. And um, anyway, I have a classic picture of he and my oldest daughter, Kim, and Snakes. Snakes had got him up in his arms. And, smiling, giving her a kiss on the cheek, and uh, it was just a classic photo that just tells me from his heart. I mean, he loved to play with her as much as he did when he and I would go out somewhere. And, uh, but he was just a, a, I can't say enough about the person that he was. Uh, and yeah, I, I mean, being in a limelight like he was, the restaurants he had, both in Foley or the beach down there, everywhere else. I asked him one time. I said, Snake, why don't you call your place the end zone? He said, You always score when you get in the end zone. So that was that was the name he named his bar and grill or whatever it was. Uh, a classic story, and I've got a couple that I want to tell. How much time we got, Chris? Oh, we've got about uh, eleven minutes, Coach. We go ahead. All right, but anyway, uh, we were, myself and Cotton Clark, another former player, played on the 61 team, going to the beach one weekend, and Cotton had a boat, and he said, we're going to take our, our my boat down there, we'll go fishing if you want. I said, that's good. So I talked with Kenny and told him we're going to come down. He said, y'all come by the house? He said, you know, let me bring folks around. It was a conglomeration of people. Just, I mean, kids from... Uh, early teenagers to old folks like I am now. I, I must have been, I'm going to say 25 to 50 people in and around his house while we were there. He was just himself, he, you know, welcome to my home. <coughs> Make yourself at home. But anyway, getting back to the fishing, he said, y'all don't need to bring Cotton's boat. He said, I got a fishing boat. Said park right there at the marina. He said, "We'll just get that thing, go out and catch us some fish." I told Cotton, I said, "You know, I don't know. We better get take your boat as a backup, just in case Kenny might have a thing leased out or something." But we get there. He was he's happy and glad that we came. He said, "I got to take y'all see the boat. It wasn't just a short drive. We were kept at the marina. We get there." And I could only think, Miami Vice, you know them big old sharp looking, they call cigar boats? Yes, sir. Do you, you remember those, Drew? Yes, sir, I do. 
Well, that's that's what this was. Excuse me. Take a sip of this coffee. Yes, sir. I usually get a little stronger when I talk to Steve. Less, <laughs> but this gonna have this gonna have to work this morning. Uh, excuse me. Oh yeah, that's good. <clears throat> anyway, it had one seat in that boat, and that was under the under the driver wheel. That was it. No other seats, just that boat like that. I said, "How the hell are we gonna get out of this?" He said, "Well, he said y'all bring me rod and reels." He said, "I don't have any of those." I said, "Yeah, but listen, don't do, don't don't go to that. No, I won't. No, 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 no. We'll we'll take care of this." We didn't take it out. Fast boats. I said, where'd you get that boat? He said, well, I was on the way back from uh, Oakland. And uh, he said, I stuck. Amazing. <coughs> Coughing. Must be my allergies. Couldn't be the cigarette. Anyway, he said, I stopped over there. And he said, I want the biggest, fastest boat y'all have here. Got to have speed, and he said it just so happened that uh, it matched my Corvette. It was black, my Corvette was black, and I said I like that. That's what I'm taking. So he bought it because it's the same color as his car. So, good for you, Kenny. So anyway, that's how it happened on that cigar boat, as I called it. But uh, now, uh, the day that we were over there at that. Talladega race, get the fast cars and fast boats and fast women. He was standing there and, and they was going to get a picture made of Snake and uh, Miss America. So they got there and got it all posed and get ready to take it. So just before they took the picture, I said, Snake, is this the first Miss America you've ever had a picture taken with? He said, yeah, I think it is. But he said, it ain't the first one I told she was Miss America, though. I said, well, I, everybody laughed and giggled. I said, I'm sure of that. Oh, boy. What a thrill. All right, Drew, back to you. You get me started. <laughs> well, Coach, and I know you wanted to reference, you said, he, you know, some of the winding roads that the snake took, and you wanted to comment on that, you said. Well, I had a situation that come up about three or four months ago. And uh, this is a distant relative in our family. And uh, she happened to be an Auburn fan. And uh, she come up to me and she said, I want you to do one thing for me. And I said, what's that? He said, will you tell me why that I should have different thoughts about Coach Bryant, who was an alcoholic, and a drunk, and why uh, I should think differently about Kenny Stabler uh, and being just a trashy drunk. I said, let me tell you one damn thing. First of all, I'm not going to take the time to even respond to that. I'll say this. I love Coach Price. He gives me an opportunity to make something of my life. And he pushed me to get to a limit. And I'm certainly not going to defend my best friend and 
roommate. Both are dead and gone. But the question that I've got to you, ma'am, is this. You must have not known. Coach Bryant or Snake. But she said, my daddy told me he was at a quarterback club and and Coach Bryant had been drinking. I said, you know what? I can believe that. I sure can. But for him to be accused of being an alcoholic, and I was around him four years, your dad was probably around him at that function for maybe an hour, and he determined and told you, so you're making your thoughts on based on what your father told you at one place at one time. And as far as Kenny being a trashy drunk, and I'll say this, I've been with him when we both had more than we needed to drink. Might be a bowling hall. We used to go bowling. He used to have a bowler, too, and have us beers and, and uh, go to the room and talk about it. But I said, trashy drunk. I said, he could have bought you, your home, and everything that's in it. But he wasn't trashy. He might have had a drink a lot more than he probably should have. But that's all I'm going to say, and I'm not defending anything for a question like that. It pissed me off so bad uh, that somebody would embarrass me to tell me what they thought. That that, that happens, though, through, and I understand that. But it was at the moment, uh, and I have flashbacks of people that I love and remember, and uh, that's not one of them. But uh, anyway, so uh, I am happy and so proud of Kenny for finally getting it. In fact, I got on a T-shirt this morning. It says King Staker Hall of Fame. Uh, and Marilyn, my wife, bought it for me while she was up in New York. And uh, I wear it daily. First thing I do is get up in the morning put the snake shirt on. I really wish that he had had the opportunity to have been selected to the Hall of Fame prior to his death, uh, but he's enjoying it right now, and it'll be a fun weekend as he looks down. And, uh, they got two good quarterbacks that I'm aware of that's going in. Yeah. In- including Coach, I know uh, Terry Bradshaw has been quoted as saying recently that Kenny was the greatest left-handed quarterback to ever play the game. And when you say something like that from a guy of his stature, that means a lot. You've got that right. Sure. That guy knows a little bit about quarterbacks. Yeah. All right. I'm thinking of what else I'm say, so you better come up with something. Well, Coach, I know uh, – this is uh, something, as you said, it's going to be so special to his family, and we all wish Kenny uh, could have been here to see it. But uh, and, it, and it's it, it, you know it's it's um, much overdue for him to, him to be rewarded for the career he had. But the thing that uh, I've taken from the, uh, from this conversation today, and we really appreciate the time, is uh, Kenny. The the thing that you said that really struck me is what I've always heard. He never changed. I've had many friends. I wasn't fortunate enough to have met Kenny in person, but I have many friends that did, and. He never yeah. 
he he never felt like it, it, that he was uh, big time in someone. Every every interaction he's I've ever heard he had with with uh, with people is that he made them feel special. And I think that's uh, a special gift that he had. He was just an ordinary guy, but extremely talented. He did, and and that registered with me more than any of the things and the stories and all that. And gosh, I've got plenty, but. Uh, Somebody accused me probably if they hadn't already been trashy drunk myself, but uh, pretty proud to be in his company because I never was embarrassed about being with him. And I asked him one day, I said, Snake, in fact, it was the day that we were at his house down on the beach, and I said, Kenny, why, why all this? Why do you do what you do? And he said, well, some people expect me to be this way. And I said, Kenny, you're not that way. You're, you know, you're a great guy. Uh, you have everything going for you. And I said, well, sometimes we do what we got to do and uh, just let it go with that. But he he lived his life, and i tell you what. Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. He did it his way, buddy. And most of the time, he was right. Exactly, Coach, and I think that's a, that's a perfect way uh, to end this segment, and we want to thank you for joining us. Uh, we, it's a huge weekend for him. Uh, they gave out the gold jackets last And that was Jimmy Fuller talking about uh, his roommate and best friend, uh, uh, Kenny the Snake Stabler, uh, just some great remembrances. Jimmy Fuller uh, meant so much to Alabama in his own right, and uh, and and just an outstanding interview. Wanted you to hear that tonight on Bam's radio. His roommate throughout his tenure at Alabama, and uh, they were very close. And even when, of course, when Kenny uh, became a superstar in the NFL, you could tell that uh, Jimmy Fuller, as he called him, Jimmy Red, was uh, someone that meant a lot to him, and uh, just really uh, wanted to to bring that to you. It was a privilege to speak with him. Uh, last uh, uh, Friday, and uh, we wanted to bring that to you this week on BAMS Radio. For those of you uh, that may not have heard it live on my uh, regular show, uh, Talking Ball, on uh, in Huntsville, Alabama, on ESPN, uh, 97.7 The Zone. We're also efforting right now to reach Ryan Fowler, uh, who was uh, on the practice field tonight uh, as Alabama wrapped up their second two-a-day of this week uh, from fall camp 2000. Uh, and uh, 16, Alabama having two-a-days on Tuesday and Thursday. Ron Fowler has been a good friend of my show, had him on earlier this week on Tuesday. Now I wanted to bring him back on BAM's radio to kind of give his take on how this week of practice has gone and uh, the feel he gets uh, that for the scrimmage coming up uh, for the Crimson Tide uh, as uh, they will have their first big scrimmage of fall camp 2016 on a Saturday. William Barger should be there. We look forward to his uh, report next week on BAM's radio, and we hope you've enjoyed the program thus far. Uh, William Barger uh, joined us in hour number one and gave us some excellent insight into what he thinks defensively. He thinks this group uh, can be better than last year, and he thinks they've upgraded at defensive coordinator. He's very high on Jeremy Pruitt as a coach and thinks uh, that he will do even better under Nick Saban than he has done 
uh, under uh, both uh, Jimbo Fisher winning a national championship and then Mark Rick, uh, Coach Rick. He did help uh, the, the Georgia defense continue to perform at a high level, but uh, they never did win the in the two years win the Eastern Division. Uh, but we will see uh, what happens and now that Jeremy's back home at Alabama. I don't think it was a good fit uh, really for uh, Jeremy Pruitt at UGA because of uh, Mark Rick's style as of coaching. Uh, sometimes that is that um, turns out to be the case. I think uh, Jeremy Pruitt's back where he needs to be at the University of Alabama. He he was uh, along with Will Muschamp, uh, who uh, ended up securing the head coaching job at South Carolina. One of those two guys was the most natural fit to replace Kirby Smart. Once Kirby, who stayed very patient, uh, was able to get his head coaching opportunity at UGA. Now, of course. Kirby's kind of been a thorn in the side of Nick Saban with the whole Maurice Smith uh, situation. Uh, I think that's been very uh, poorly handled by Kirby uh, with what he's done with Maurice Smith's mother, getting her to call recruits and be a thorn in the side of the University of Alabama. Uh, but we will see what happens. But right now we are going to go to the Sun Belt Tents hotline to a great friend of mine, Ryan Fowler, who has been on the practice fields tonight and has uh, continued, also has his outstanding radio program from 2 to 6 p.m. Uh, every uh, Monday through Friday, and that's, of course, the game. And uh, it's been around for 15 years in Tuscaloosa. Always glad to have you back on BAMS, Ryan. Uh, never gets uh, tired of having the conversation. And I guess the first thing to ask for our listeners, uh, how did the tide look tonight? Hey, it was great. You know, I, I just walked out and, and just walked out of the complex just a couple of seconds ago, and, Man, it's, uh, I can imagine, let, let me just say this, okay, I'm not practicing, I'm not going through the mental reps and the conditioning that these players go through daily, but I'm tired. I mean, it, it, you know, it started early this morning, 9.30, uh, they practiced for a couple of hours, and then they uh, went back, obviously, you know, to back to team meetings and preparation and meal, and then they were back out on the practice field this evening. Now, just leaving the complex, it started raining uh, just for a few minutes. I don't know if that forced them in inside or not. We were already out of the out of practice, but uh, it came a pretty good little shower in Tuscaloosa. Now, keep in mind that they practiced last night or yesterday afternoon in, inside. So I'm sure Nick Saban would love to be able to keep them off of that, you know, concrete before the scrimmage. You know, where they won't have dead legs. But uh, you know, sometimes the weather forces you. It's been a little milder day today, but it's still you know it's 90 plus degrees. And, Heat index pretty close to the quad high. So it's it's rough camp and it's a grind right now as we're talking about what is this? Uh, this is one week into it, but I think we're at the 10th practice, 10th practice, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I maybe 11th. So. Yeah, so well, 13, I mean, 13, they were going 13 consecutive. So actually, I mm-hmm. think this will be 11, 12 tomorrow, 13 is Saturday, and then they'll break on Sunday, and then they'll return Monday for two days. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, so uh, it's, it, this is the grind of the practice uh, schedule for Alabama in the in fall camp. And I know uh, we sat uh, next to one another up in the press box for the open practice. Very impressive-looking squad, you know, but very young in some spots, but very talented. And uh, I know you didn't get a chance to hear William Barger earlier in the program, but he made some strong statements. He thinks this defense, from a personnel standpoint, while not as deep along the front as last year, has a chance to be better than the one a year ago uh, due to the, a lot of the uh, maturing talent, and he feels like they have first-round picks on all three levels. And then, really, he's uh, very, very high on Jeremy Pruitt, 
taking the reins over from the trader, Kirby Smart. Yeah, and, and man, it's kind of unique how you label that. I, I picked up on that, but uh, and I don't disagree with you. I think you're absolutely correct. I'm sure at some point we'll get into that, but uh, I had William on my show as well, and, you know, when I look at Jeremy, let me go back, if you don't mind. I don't know how sure. much time we have here, but you go guys ahead. remember We've got when, I was time. The, when I was the headline of ESPN College game day and everybody was trashing uh, this former quarterback that's playing the Cincinnati Bengals right now. He was on my show, and he made a comment that was taken, I thought, in my opinion, was out of context because I thought it was, you know, it was about leadership. He talked about vocal leaders that Alabama needed vocal leaders. Well, how somehow that got twisted around and it went to vocal leaders to just leaders, that they didn't have any leaders on their football team. Well, that wasn't what he said, but it got twisted around. And uh, A.J. made, you know, appearances on my show every week. But one of the comments that I was in Canada the night that he, he made a comment, it was, I was on my show and I was live and I was doing the show, and about a 45 minutes or an hour, he sent me a text message after and he said, They're, the headlines have blown up, man. We, uh, we're all over the news. And I said, man, what, what happened? You know, what happened? Well, the first thing that went through my mind was a comment that he had made about Kirby Smart. And, but because of the football unsavvy uh, members of the media sometimes, they took a comment that I didn't think was really a, a comment, and they, they made it a story. But they missed the whole entire story because the story was when he talked about it was about Kirby Smart's defense. And what A.J. was doing is he was giving him a compliment, but nobody even picked up on this. They wrote a story about a complete different even comment. But I'll never forget what he said, and he goes, Kirby Smart is so smart on the defensive side of the football that when people run a formation, he can recognize it just a couple of seconds prior to the snap of the football, he's still making adjustments, right? He's barking off adjustments during the play, right? So he's making those adjustments. Well, the problem is, is your your linebacker, whether that's Reggie Ragland from last year or C.J. Mosley or year before or year before, the problem is, is communication. And when you receive that call from the sidelines, you've got to be able to communicate to your rest of your teammates. You don't have enough time to do that. I think that was, if you want to say the kryptonite for Nick Saban and, and Kirby Smart, it was that. The up-tempo mobile quarterbacks giving them a lot of issues. Now, I know they've done a little better, but you got to remember, Deshaun Watson, you know, hung 40 on Alabama in the national championship game, and their offense had to outscore Clemson to win the national title. But I think one of the reasons why it was a, it was a problem for them is they were always trying to call it. If you've ever been on the sidelines, Drew, and I know you have, and Thomas, I know you have, you can hear them calling assignments literally like a nanosecond prior to snapping the football. That's a problem because that's why it's been a problem for these up-tempo teams, these, you know, these fast-pitch teams. And I think Jeremy Pruitt does a much better job of handling those up-tempo teams. He did it at Florida State, he's done it at Georgia. I think his system, he turns the athletes loose and allows them to be football players and read and react. I think Kirby Smart always wanted to keep them constricted, and I think that's one of the biggest differences, and that's coming from, you know, an All-American quarterback who said, you know, it's not that they're not smart. They are, but you've got to be able to 
you know, turn those players loose because you don't have time to communicate. Well, sure, if you had 30 seconds, you know, we could pick up a phone and say, hey, they're fixing to run toss, sweep, ride, go, you know. But they were trying to communicate that. I think this is where Jeremy Pruitt, and I've watched him in practice, he's teaching a lot of those guys about read and react, read and react, read and react. And I think that's going to pay off when we go up against, you know, the Tennessees, the Ole Miss of the world with this up-tempo offense. Just, just opinion that I'll carry you back a couple of years from, you know, when, when A.J. was part of the show. And that's a great uh, uh, point to make, Ryan. We talked about that, uh, but not in that vernacular. Uh, but great, uh, great way of explaining it and uh, the differences between Jeremy Pruitt and uh, Kirby Smart. We know the defense is Nick Saban's, but – he always lets the offensive coordinators have their imprint uh, on a uh, on his system. Though it's always it's never run exactly the same, but it's still pro style principles and running the football and play action. But he does let them up. He's let Lane Kiffin go a little faster and up tempo. Let him throw the ball around and 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 I, I agree with you. I think they're going to allow uh, uh, Jeremy Pruden. He's going to allow him to bring. Uh, you know, uh, to simplify things sometimes defensively, and I'm just really excited about that. I think they are going to be uh, more effective against these spread teams. Uh, that's a great, another great way to put it. And and I also think uh, that, that Alabama with Nick Saban, they're always going to stop the run. Uh, with that, I know they struggle with that sometimes with Mark Rick, but that, that was honestly because I think Mark Rick's the soft coach uh, who's more worried about the offensive side of the football and. Nick Saban's always going to be defense first, so I don't think you're ever going to see a soft defense. And uh, Jeremy Pruitt's going to enjoy his time in Tuscaloosa, his second stint, much more than he did his two years in Athens when I think it was just a bad fit for the head coach you're working for. Yeah, I agree. And, and people that I've talked to, I've talked to some players over there, and they they really like Kirby – excuse me, they really like Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, I don't know what they're going to think about Kirby Smart. and, and, and But – but I'm sure they they'll probably like him just as well. But I think that you know the really the comment that you go back to is, you know, he's a player friendly coach. Now he's rough and tough, man. I've watched him for 15 practices in the spring, and then and then this practice here. So I, I think I think it's going to be a you know another elite defense. I think they'll match last year's sack number. When I look at what was it 53 led college football, I think that number goes up. And I just think that this team is – well, and, and let me let me back up. And just looking from a statistical chance, I, I think that the chances will go down when I look at – because there's not going to be a lot of passing. I say there's not going to be. I think there's going to be a run-heavy deep offense in the SEC because you don't have as many quarterbacks that are elite. I mean, you know, Brandon Harris going to run the football. I mean, LSU, uh, Chad Kelly's going to throw it. Arkansas is going to run it. Uh, Mississippi State's, you know, they're, they're going to run it with trying to replace Dak Prescott. Trevor Knott may air it out a little bit there at Texas A&M, but the majority of your teams, I think, are going to be a little bit run-heavy. So maybe that number doesn't go up because they don't have the chances, uh, but but I think that number could get very, very close. You know, it took them two years to get 53, uh, 2013, 2014, and under Tosh Lapoy, they did it year number one. So I, I think, you know, I look for elite pass rushers, but maybe not as many opportunities. And I've already made this statement that I think is the best recruiting staff that Coach Saban has put together uh, since he's been to Alabama as a whole. But defensively, I also think it's probably the best coaches. When you talk to people who are familiar with Derek Ansley uh, from Kentucky, we've seen what Tosh LePoy 
uh, did helping Alabama to 52 sacks last year, 53 sacks, and you, you're thinking it could, it's going to go up. He made a huge impact. We saw how much better uh, he did, uh, the uh, more productive the outside linebackers coach, the, uh, the outside linebackers were uh, in, after the coaching change and getting Lance Thompson out of town, who is uh, he's only a recruiter, not much of a coach uh, as far as X's and O's. But Tosh Lepore is an excellent combination of that. Jeremy Pruitt, uh, you know, this will be his first year. He's, uh, he's usually coached the secondaries, uh, he's, uh, but now transitioning to inside linebackers. Uh, we know Kirby Smart did that. Any concern in your mind about Jeremy Pruitt coaching the inside linebackers? Not right now. Uh, I think we'll know a little something more. You know, you go back to A-Day and what we know from right now, I think that, you know, those guys were pretty productive. And But I, like I said, I think it's going to be more of a read and react defense. Now, now that's not saying Alabama's going to run out there and, you know, not be coached up. But I just think that they're going to trust those football players to be football players. But I haven't noticed anything that's really – Kirby might have been a little bit more intense. You know, he was always screaming, uh, which, you know, I guess what coaching, you know, staff or what coach down there in Tuscaloosa doesn't scream. But uh, Jeremy Pruitt seems to be more of a not, – I'm not saying laid back. I don't want people to take that the wrong way. But he's not as screamy as, as Kirby Smart. Uh, but he's still in pretty intense. And I think the players really respect him. I think they – you know, that they, they have a good relationship with him, just watching him read and react. And uh, I think, you know, I look at Reuben Foster. He told us earlier this week he lost 15, about 15 pounds. He's down, he was 240 last year, and he's down about 225. You can see it. He's quicker on his feet. And, and I think that's going to, you know, that's going to pay dividends because he's going to look to be that alpha dog on that side of the football. And, you know, when Alabama's been good, their linebackers have been solid. You know, I, I was very disappointed with, you know, I look back at Trey DePriest. I, I didn't think he was a uh, a great linebacker. He was a pretty average linebacker. But I think when Alabama's got one of those strong leaders like Reggie Ragland, like C.J. Mosley, like Rolando McClain, Dante Hightower, and, and many others, I think Alabama really you know does well if they can get that you know the leadership. I think Ruben Foster's got to take that next step. And not saying it's his defense, but I think he's the alpha dog on that side of the football. Well, I think he's definitely one of them. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The players all seem to be drawn to him, and I think John Allen's probably the other one. Uh, and they, just, and uh, it's like what William said. There's first-round picks uh, at every uh, level of the defense. But there's going to be some young players that needed to be developed in the secondary, but uh, should they come along, I don't think there's any doubt this group can be elite. They just need to have some injury luck along the defensive line, not as deep a group, but... Hearing uh, the, 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 uh, Ryan, I, I don't know if you got a chance to watch him today, but it's the last couple of days in practice that Jamar King has started to uh, perform pretty well. You know, that's something I have not noticed. Uh, and I just got to be honest with you. My eyes have really been on the quarterback situation. I've taken some video uh, of yes. the defensive linemen, but but I really it hasn't really you know stood out to me. Uh, but I think this is the point. If you can get through this part of practice. You know, those attention to detail, I, I think you can be a, you know, a solid player when, because this is the grind. This is the fourth quarter with three minutes left when you go through, you know, this many consecutive practices. So I, I haven't noticed that, you know, but I, I've really been focused a lot on the quarterbacks because I'm just trying to really get a feel for this and see exactly, 
you know, who I think is out front. And I'm sure that's something that we'll probably do, go a little deeper here. And then uh, talk about that, right? That's a good segue. You've been watching the quarterbacks closely. Uh, you know, we were in uh, pretty much agreement uh, when we were, what we saw this past uh, Sunday. Uh, that uh, Cooper Bateman not very good for two thirds of the practice, but uh, performed much better uh, the last third of the workout. But that Blake Barnett was very, very good. Jalen Hurts made some plays. The only one that seems to be out of it is David Cornwell. But talk about what you've seen this week, and uh, and uh, has it changed your mind any since Sunday? Well, and, and I think there's a you know, there's a really a couple things, and I'm trying to add all this together. You know, I try to not look at two hours and try to add all of it together from what I've seen throughout the spring and then what I've noticed here. Guys, I I, I really trust Lane Kiffin to come up with a game plan to with any quarterback skill set. I'm just a little bit concerned that I don't think Cooper Bateman's got the arm strength. I know we've talked about this, Drew, and I've had you on my show. I've been on your show. But it seems like every day where I give him the sort of benefit of the doubt, I bounce back and I see a couple of balls that are thrown behind him or, you know, I'm talking about the receivers. And, you know, and if you cannot throw against air, and what I mean by throwing against air, there's just no defenders. And if you're struggling to hit wide receivers and tight ends in stride, I just don't know how that Lane Kiffin's going to be able to design a game plan like that. And I know we said some very similar things to Jacob Coker, but it was never the arm strength that we questioned about Jacob Coker. It was always, right. you know, that, that hiccup in that delivery, uh, slow mechanics, didn't have the great uh, footwork. And, you know, we're, we're critiquing a national championship quarterback. I guess that's what we do in Tuscaloosa. But when, when you look at Jalen Hurts, I think that ball – if Cooper Bateman was out on a practice field by himself, it probably wouldn't stand right. out as much. But I think the way that Jalen Hurts spins that football with that quick release, and I think with, you know, David Cornwell's got an arm, you know, it's, it's, it's a cannon. I mean, he's got a very strong arm. And then I look at Blake Barnett, sort of, you know, he, he may not be as strong of an arm as David Cornwell, but when you put Cooper Bateman out there, it just doesn't seem like he – the arm, when you're trying to calculate these arms, I mean, he's probably fourth. And, you know, you and I spotted this the other day. There's a walk-on from Texas that mm-hmm. at times looks better throwing the football than Cooper Bateman. I, just to me, that's a concern. I don't know if Lane Kiffin, he's a great offensive coordinator, but can he make it work with a guy that's got limitations on the strength of his arm? I don't know the answer to that. I'm not sure the coaching staff does, but I, I do know that he was throwing a lot behind the receiver and it was like they were, and when it was there, they were almost like they were having to wait up on that. That'll get your, that'll get your wide receivers killed. I mean, you know, and I'm not saying that, I mean, your safety's going to take their head off. You know, if they're sitting there having to wait on the football and, and, you know, if you're having to wait, you're going to have to go ducking because you're going to have a, you know, 220 pound safety that's going to be gearing for you. And, and that's, with this many wide receivers, I don't know if I'd waste the talent. I mean, you know, Alabama took a long time to develop this much depth at wide receiver. I just don't know if I'm willing to throw that away, you know, and, and, and that's why I think it'll be Blake Barnett or Jalen Hurts. I, I just – I don't see it in Cooper Bateman, and maybe I'm wrong, but I, I just see a lack of, you know, arm strength that it's really going to cost Alabama if they have to play in. Well, it, it takes away the vertical game. Uh, and you know Calvin oh, yeah, really no can make plays. 
and uh, and, and we swore, and and we haven't really talked about it, Ryan, but Robert Foster looked amazing uh, in that workout on Sunday. He definitely looks like he's back. Oh, there's no doubt, and I think that's the the part that I just I don't want to see Alabama waste this this unit. And I was born in '78. I cannot yep. remember a, a wide receiver core that's been this deep. I mean, this is a deep, deep unit. Uh, when you talk about trying to get all these wide receivers on the football field, I'm just a little bit nervous that you're going to waste this talent if, if you don't. And, and hey, listen, it's, it's not going to be, you know, Blake Barnett's got to step up. I mean, he's got to do something in scrimmage that he's not been able to do so far, and that's not to throw the football in the opposing you know, the defense's hands, because he's done that. That's been a weakness. If he can correct that, going into the scrimmage, he's, you know, to, to me, when I'm out there watching me, he, he seems like he's putting more value on the football. If he does that, I think he'll win the quarterback job here at Alabama. I've been hearing that the team is getting behind him. We heard uh, that they were doing the same thing behind Jake last year, and uh, then uh, Jake went out and won the job. And, you know, Barnett is going to have to do the same thing, as you said. He's going to have to go out and execute. I think Jalen Hurts is an elite athlete, but I'm just not sure yet, Ryan, that he knows the offense well enough. Well, I think you're absolutely correct. And and I just when, – when you're starting a true freshman, it's not about talent. It's about how well does he know the offense. And I know they can, you know, work into his skill set and to be able to, you know, make some of those elementary calls but this is this is the SEC. This is not the pillow fight in the Big 12 where defenses just, you know, sort of throw pillows at you and not really tackle. This is the SEC. You're going to be going up against – I mean, guys, you ever thought about the quality defensive coordinators here in this league? You know, you could start with John Chavis, which is my favorite at Texas A&M, the chief. Then you've got Dave Aranda. Uh, you've got Jeff Collins, Jeremy Pruitt, uh, Tennessee with, with – is it Bob Swoop? Is that the way you say it? Bob Shoop. Shoop, okay. Uh, you, you've got him. I mean, and, and we're only into a few. I mean, there's some solid defensive coordinators. Derek Mason. I just don't know if – yeah, sure. I mean, I know it's Vanderbilt, but, but but when you look at the defensive minds in this league, you're throwing a kid that was in high school six months ago into the best of the best with the SEC. I think the same thing that Blake Barnett struggled with when they – started to throw things at him. I don't know if Jalen Hurts will be able to handle that, but so far he's been able to show that he's got the mental side of it too. So, you know, Coach's kid, I like everything that I've seen, but I think they'll really test him to see if, you know, if they can trust him or, you know, does he get a red shirt or is he a small part, you know, package of this offensive side of the football. Well, and then finally, Ryan, and we thank you for your time tonight on your way back home from the uh, Malmore practice facility and the uh, and, and the uh, and the practice uh, indoor practice field and uh, also that uh, I know uh, the Alabama as you said there was a little bit of rain and the, but they they still uh, worked out at, at the on the outdoor practice fields and then as you said they might have had to move inside but we will see uh, but what is your take on this whole Kirby Smart thing I mean Kirby did a lot of great work at Alabama uh, in his time in nine years in Tuscaloosa eight uh, as defensive coordinator under Nick Saban but. I've just been very disappointed, and uh, unlike Jim McElwain, who seems to show respect, Kirby Smart, uh, he, he kind of wants to tug on Superman's cape a little bit. Yeah, I think he, I think he does, and you know, 
I, I respect Herbie Smart. I think he's trying to sell it to his fan base that I'm going to stand up right. for Nick Saban because he was so, you know, affiliated with him for so long. And I think that's what he's trying to sell his fan base, that, hey, I'm going to stand up to Nick Saban. And, and I think at the end of the day, if, if, underline if, if the SEC gives this guy clearance, it's going to look like, you know, Kirby Smart at the end of the day won, you know, this first competition between him and, you know, the mentor Nick Saban. But I'm a little bit embarrassed of the way that Kirby Smart has burnt some bridges. And I'm talking about yeah. the recruiting trails and what I'm hearing behind the scenes. Uh, he may have won the fan base, but I think he, he lost some respect by some of the things that he's done. But, you know, I'll say that recruiting is such a dirty business, guys. You know, we know that. I mean, it's these guys will tell you anything behind the scenes. And uh, I'm, I'm sure, you know, Kirby's using it to his advantage. But, uh, you know, you don't ever try to stab somebody in the back that you, you've worked for his length of time. And you don't ever know when you're going to be asking for a job because Georgia's got a lot of expectations Mark Rick was 50 and 17 in his last five years. I don't know if Kirby Smart can even come close to that. But if he does it, you know, he'll be at another stop or he'll be coming back here to Tuscaloosa to uh, bag Nick Seven for a job and, and, you know, get on his hands and knees. I don't really know if this is a good start with stabbing him in the back early on. Yeah, it's just been very disappointing. And, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, I was happy that he was patient and got the Georgia job, but I thought he would show just a little bit more respect. But, Ryan, we really appreciate your time. Uh, it's, I know it's a very busy one for you. Got another big-time show uh, that you're going to have on uh, Friday uh, from 2 to 6 on Tide 1029, the new signal. And uh, we congratulate you on the success of your radio program. And we always appreciate you taking the time to update our BAMS radio listeners and, of course, being a part of uh, my radio program on 97.7 The Zone as well. Appreciate the time tonight. No doubt, and uh, just as my final end message, uh, I just want to campaign for John Franklin III uh, for the Heisman Trophy. I know that uh, uh, it's already started across the state, but it looks like this young man is uh, pretty behind. But, uh, you know, just want to make sure those Barners are uh, doing okay on a, on a Thursday night. Big hello to them. <laughs> Absolutely, and right, Greg McElroy, surprisingly, has John Franklin III among his top five newcomers in the SEC and no Gary Dieter. Uh, so we'll see about uh, that. Garrick Dieter looking like he is going to be an outstanding new uh, addition yes, to this offense. But uh, no but doubt. we'll see if, you know, Greg McElroy, national championship quarterback, uh, not always right in, 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 for the SEC network, but still got to uh, give him uh, respect for making his opinion known. Just don't always agree with it. Well, Ryan, have a great night, and uh, we look forward to talking with you down the road. Thank you, sir. Hey, absolutely. It's great talking to you guys. You guys have a great night. Thank you. Absolutely. That's Ryan Fowler. And, uh, Thomas, we've only got a couple of minutes left. Uh, just some of your thoughts uh, is uh, to close out yet another uh, great edition of BAMS Radio. Well, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. That was an excellent show, excellent takes. Um, I have to say that I my, I kind of did, did a double take when Ryan said he thought that the uh, defense will have as many sacks as uh, – Wow. Yeah, that's, that's saying something, man. I mean – that I just I don't know I, I have a hard time buying into it right now. Do I hope it happens? Absolutely, but I just it's it's hard for me to to really jump in on that. But uh, 
Drew, it, give me one second. We've got a potential uh, new caller on hold, a number I don't recognize. Let me screen them if you don't mind riffing for about 30 seconds. About what sure, no problem. And, you know, Ryan talking about the sack numbers, uh, the sacks, uh, those those are, uh, uh, you know, and, and again, the, the, all, most of the production is back. I mean, when you think about it, uh, the 12 and, and a half sacks of John Allen, uh, the 10 sacks of uh, – of uh, Tim Williams, ten and a half that he had, uh, six from Ryan Anderson, and then you have additional people that can rush the passer now, like Christian Miller, who didn't play as much last year, Anthony Jennings, who redshirted. He's a little banged up right now, but he had uh, three sacks uh, in the spring game. Uh, so then Rashawn Evans and what he did in the national championship came to Sean Hand. So there's a you know they did lose Jaron Reed and Ashawn Robinson, but they've added some pieces. And uh, they, they're, they're going to be some pass rushers all over the field for Alabama where they can get after the QB. And Jeremy Pruitt, in some ways, is more aggressive than Kirby Smart. Uh, and uh, I think you, know, that we, uh, you may see a little bit more blitzing from Alabama, but there's not going to be a huge need to, to do it at times because of the pass rush of the defensive line. But uh, we'll see what's happened. Uh, but uh, right. now we we want to bring on that uh, we have a one one of our uh, a good friend of ours who it's been a while since he's called Bams Radio he called us right here at the end of the show we want to give him some time with uh, Thomas and I and that's of course bring the pain how you doing man how, how's uh, how you uh, you getting ready for some football man I'm ready for some football I already got my season tickets in I'm nice. ready for it I'm ready. Absolutely, I, bring the pain. You know, What's on your mind tonight, bud? Hey, a few things. I heard uh, y'all talking about Kirby Smart. I haven't heard mm-hmm. anything. I really don't want to hear anything about Kirby Smart. I'm glad he's got that job. But anyway, I want to get y'all's take on the quarterback battle. How do y'all think well, that's going? Uh, well, I, I think it's uh, a three-man race. We talked about it tonight on the show, Bring the Pain. Uh, I think there's no doubt that uh, right now Cooper Bayman has a slight lead, but it's not very much. It's uh, minuscule, and it's all going to come down to uh, how the uh, the scrimmages go the next two Saturdays. I think uh, Blake Barnett is pushing hard and has a chance, a legitimate chance, to win this job. I think that I've been hearing the team's getting behind him, but he needs to perform at the scrimmage this Saturday and been, uh, be consistent like he was at the practice on the uh, media day and fan day on Sunday. And I was like, you know, I'm also think I think Jalen Hurts has a lot of potential now. As a true freshman, I, I agree with Ryan. We might see him on the field, but it may be some uh, pa- some special packages. I still am not sure he's made enough progress to know the offense well enough. But it will, we will find out on the, uh, uh, this coming uh, Saturday if he has, because they're going to give him some reps. It's going to be interesting to see if he gets any with the ones and he's a very talented football player. David Cornwell's got the foot injury. He's pretty much out of it, but I think uh, the other three, uh, you just have to wait and see. But I, I think right now uh, it's a three-man race, and I favor Blake Barnett, but we're going to see how it turns out. I, uh, me, I think Jalen Hurts. <laughs> That's who I'm pulling for. But anyway, one last thing. Sure. And this is has this has to do with the quarterback coming in from Hawaii. Yeah, to a Tagovailoa. Uh, yeah. 
the name, the, his last name. Uh, mm-hmm. Y'all doing the whole, it's pronounced different, different, right? Because uh, I watched their news broadcast. It's okay. Tonga. It's Tonga by Aloha. Oh, okay. What? That's what how you pronounce that? a Samoan name. Okay. But Tonga I think Bailoa. he's going to come in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to come in and rip it up. I think he's going to get the starting job. As a true freshman? If you see his, if you see his videos, boy, this man... It's fast, great accuracy, throw the football deep. I think he's going to take it over. Well, we'll see. He's a very talented football player. I know uh, uh, Coach Saban and uh, Lane Kiffin are very excited about his future now. I think the whole Bama Nation is. But bring the pain. We really appreciate the phone call, man. Roll Tide, and I hope you tune in next week to Bams Radio. I will. Road tied to y'all, too. Can't wait to see y'all during football. Absolutely, man. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Let's bring the pain as we're wrapping up this edition of BAMS Radio. I want to thank Thomas Watts. I'm your host, Drew DeArm. We want to thank our third cohort, and uh, the and that is uh, William Redfish Barger for joining us in hour number one and uh, with so much insight and uh, we look forward to his report from the scrimmage on Saturday. Uh, it should be outstanding. Everybody will be uh, very interested throughout the day on Saturday to see what information is being leaked out and who's performing, especially in this quarterback battle. But we want to also thank Ron Fowler for joining us in hour number two, and we hope you enjoyed that segment with Jimmy Fuller, remembering his friend Kenny the Snake Stabler and roommate who's now in the NFL Hall of Fame. Everyone have a great weekend. Roll Tide, and we'll talk to you next Thursday, 7 o'clock. I'm your host, Judy Armand, and with for Thomas Watts, we'll talk to you next week. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.